Thank you, music team. Uh, Very much appreciate week by week how you lead us into the presence of God. Uh, I had... If you, if you have not been with us, this is our fourth in a series of five messages uh, called Catalyst for Spiritual Growth. And I said at the outset that I believe with all my heart that most of us who are here, uh, most of us really have a deep desire to follow Jesus Christ, to grow in our faith, to have a more robust faith, to be able to trust God for more than we have in the past. Um, to be further down the road spiritually, stronger in our faith. And most of us have come to realize this also. Spiritual growth doesn't happen by accident. Uh, Spiritual growth uh, doesn't just uh, happen unintentionally. That we are are committed to our own personal well-being and spiritual growth. The problem I think a lot of us have is we're just not sure how to get there. We're not sure how to grow our faith. We want to. We aspire to be something more than we are. But we just haven't figured out how to get to that place yet. And I think probably some of us may not even verbalize this, but are thinking somewhere deep inside. Has God just thrown us into this and then kind of abandoned us and saying, you know, good luck with this whole spiritual walk kind of thing. Uh, Good luck to your journey. Uh, I wish you well. Um, You know, there's uh, at the time of the signing of the Declaration of Independence in the United States, uh, many of their religious leaders bought into something, a, a religious kind of thought. It was called deism. And what deism was, it was a belief in God but that God kind of set everything in motion, he created, he put laws, and then he just took his hands off and said, well, there you go, Uh, go to it. And he was removed from us. And I think maybe some of us at times feel like God has just set us on our course and stepped back and just let us go. Is Is that true? Has God left us to our own devices uh, to live a growing spiritual life and said to us, in essence, well, you know, I hope you have good success in that. Are we supposed to just muddle our way through? Well, I want you to know that I believe that God is involved and com- in and committed to our spiritual growth. God is involved in. God is committed to our spiritual growth growth. I believe that God does not abandon us to try and make it on our own, but he is integrally involved in helping us and being committed to our spiritual growth. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 28, we read this from the hand of the Apostle Paul. And we know that in all things, God works God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to uh, his purpose. He hasn't just shifted, uh, let us go adrift, and, and, and I hope it works out for you. No, he is committed to us. And it says in that, that we know that in all things, God is working. And he's working for our good, for spiritual growth in our life. In Philippians 2, 
verses 12 and 13, the apostle is writing and he says this. Therefore, my dear friends, as you have always obeyed, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, he says this, continue to work out your salvation with fear and trembling. God has worked something into you. Now he says, I want you to take and put your energy and effort into your relationship with God uh, because uh, he has done that for you. But he says, there's another aspect to this. And he goes on to say this, for it is God who works in you to will and act in order to fulfill his good purpose. So here we have like two sides of this that that we have a responsibility spiritually in our relationship with God. But not only that, God is actively involved in our life. He says it's God who is working in order uh, to, uh, to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. He hasn't set you adrift. He is committed to your spiritual growth. One more verse, uh, Philippians 1 and verse 6. The Apostle Paul could say this, being confident of this, I am assured of this, that he who began a good work, what does that mean? That means that when you became a follower of Jesus Christ, yes, you put your faith in him, but he was working in you. He was wooing you. He was, he was moving your heart, opening your eyes to understand, giving you a, a sense of a conviction and, uh, of the, the truthfulness of this thing. He began a good work in you. He started you on the journey. He moved you into the family of God. He moved you in a place of being alienated from God to be reconciled to God. But he says, he who began that will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. He's going to keep, he's committed to you. He's committed to you to get you to the end of the race. He's committed to get you, to bring you home to him. Um, and, and that's greatly encouraging to me. I love that. He has a plan, and that plan is to work in you, to bring that plan to com- completion and bring you safely home. God cared enough about you that he sent his son to become a human, to live among us, and to die an awful, torturous death because he loved you. Why? He is committed to you. He's committed to your coming to Christ. He's committed to helping you on your journey and strengthening you in your faith. And he has provided, and we've been talking about over the last few weeks about this, he's provided catalysts, things that accelerate our spiritual growth um, so that we would develop spiritually. We would increase our faith. We would have an increased ability to trust God in our lives. And over the last few weeks, we've looked at uh, three of these over the past three weeks. The one, one thing God gave us is the Word of God. Not only did He give us the Word of God, He gave us teachers to help us understand how to apply the Word of God to our life. And we found out that when we take the Word of God and understand it and then apply it in our life, psh, we start to take off spiritually and we grow in ways that we never thought we might. We call that practical teaching. Secondly, uh, we talked about providential relationships. God put 
us, put people in our life. He put people in our life that helped us to realize how much he loves us, that shared with us the good news of Jesus Christ. He put people in our life that when we're discouraged and troubled, uh, they help and encourage us. People, when we don't know some things that we need to know, they teach us. And, and people who he puts alongside us that when we fall and stumble, they're there to pick us up and help us keep going on the journey. God gave you that. And, and we talked about how our life groups operate uh, in, in that whole domain as well. And then last week, God gave us service opportunities. He gave us gifts and abilities to serve him. And and the incredible thing that happens is that when we're serving him and doing what he wants to help others, there's this blowback effect in which we, uh, we profit from that and we grow spiritually as well. We said, though, that God has not left us just to our own devices, but he's actually actively involved in growing our faith. And one way he does that, and this is our focus this day, is through pivotal circumstances. Pivotal circumstances. Most of us can look and review our lives. I remember in our life group we were talking about something like this a few weeks ago. And I thought it would be interesting if you took a timeline of your life. And you kind of had this baseline. And and you looked at the great things that happened in your life and maybe some tough times and, and better times and things that were kind of stable for a while. It would be interesting to see how the, there were pivotal events in your life and how, how, how those worked. Some of those things are very wonderful and pleasant things. Uh, things that we, we love. Uh, meeting a person who becomes your life partner. How, what, what a wonderful thing. Getting a major promotion. Being healed from cancer. Uh, having a baby, um, getting into your chosen field of work and getting a good job. There are all these things that are, are wonderful. But life has ups and life has downs. And so for all those wonderful pivotal moments, there can also be moments that are difficulty, difficult and disappointing and distressing and even tragic events. De- a devastating diagnosis, somebody who, who's in a car accident and, and who's impacted for life because of damage, uh, trauma in your life as a child, uh, abuse, and, and, uh, or the loss of a child, all kinds of things that crash our life at times that, that make life difficult. But God promised that he would not abandon you in the ups and downs of life. But that he would so orchestrate the events in your life uh, so that you would be able to grow spiritually and become all that he wanted you to. That you would learn to trust him more and, and he would take you to places you never thought you could be. And Romans 8.28 has been for me in my life just an absolutely... Uh, uh, foundation of my life that I'm anchored to, that I know that whatever happens in life, God is in control of that. God is guiding my life through all the wonderful things in my life and all the tough, difficult, tragic things that happen in my life. God has not abandoned me, but God is in those things and God is working for our good. He employs all of those things for our benefit and our good. He's involved in his sovereign power is able to take even the most difficult, even the most uh, terrible circumstances in our life and employ them for his purpose in a good way. 
God has that kind of power. He has that kind of insight and wisdom. And, and if I were to just give you an illustration from the life of Jesus in this, I would ask you this question. Who was it that crucified Jesus? You'd say, well, that's, that's easy. It was Pilate and, and the Romans. And you'd be right. Pilate issued the death sentence for Jesus to have him crucified and put to death. But wait a minute. He was kind of a pawn, a puppet of the Jewish leaders who were working feverishly to get Jesus put to death. And they put a lot of pressure on him. And the crowd is crying, crucify him. And he wants to keep peace. And the Jews couldn't, because they were an occupied country, they couldn't enact capital punishment. So they had to rely on Pilate. But it was really, he didn't want to do it. So it's really the Jews. And, and then we read in Acts chapter 2 and verse 23, this answer to that question. This man, Jesus, was handed over to you, listen, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to a cross. What is he saying? He's saying, I take everything that happens... Good or bad, and I fulfill my purpose in, my, in the lives of my people through that. So who, who, who orchestrated that which happened to Jesus? Well, they hated him. They wanted to put him to, to death, but that was totally God took that and used that to provide for our salvation that Jesus would die on a cross. You see, he's able to do that kind of thing. He took the evil desires of wicked people and he used them to accomplish what we needed for our salvation. So God does, can and does work for you in good, for his good in all uh, circumstances. And um, the question is, for whom does God work? Well, he says in there that it's for those who love God and who are called according to his purpose. And what I said to you before, uh, when we look at our coming to faith in Christ, through our own eyes, we see how we came to put our trust in Jesus. Uh, he says it's for people who love God. Well, who, who love God? Those are believers who love God. Those are, those are people who have opened their hearts and put their faith and their trust in him. Uh, John would tell us in 1 John 4, he, he says um, that it's not that we loved him, but that he loved us first. He, he, we had a love in our heart for God. If you're a believer, you have a love for God. And he said, this, this applies to the people who love God. But then he goes on and he says, it's also for those who are called by God. Called according to his purpose. And that shows us again that God has been operational. Yes, we put our faith in him. But it was God who was working and moving in our life. And for if that is you... If you love God, he, you, you, you're a believer in, in Jesus. You've put your faith and trust in him. And, and if you've been called by him and, 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 brought, and uh, brought to him by his own love and power, by his spirit. He says, this applies to you. This verse applies to you. That God is, is working all things for his purpose and his good in our lives. And if you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, this truth does not apply to you. This is only for the children of God can make that claim, 
can anchor their lives to this truth, that God is working all things for our good. So here it is. God uses circumstances for our good. God uses everything that happens in our life, all the good and the bad things. He providentially works in them, these pivotal circumstances, to help us become all that he wants us to come. This isn't just happenstance. This isn't just, um, you know, a circumstance uh, that something had just happened that has no meaning. No, God is working in all of that. He has crafted it all for his purpose, and his purpose is our good. So the question for me is, well, what does that look like? What, is, what does the good look like? Um, uh, so I want to talk to you about the goal and flesh that out for you a little bit this morning. What is the good that God wants to work in our life? Well, the first thing he wants to do is he wants to make us more like Jesus. Do you know that that's his plan? That you would become more like Jesus Christ? That that he would transform you and he would stamp his image in you so you would become like him. you'd, You'd have his character, his grace, his love, his concern for others, his holiness. All of those things would happen. And in 2 Corinthians 3... Um, the Apostle Paul would talk about that we're to be transformed into the image of Jesus. Glory to glory. He's making us more and more like Jesus Christ. Excuse me. And his desire is to do that. Now in Romans 8.28 it says, For God works in all circumstances um, for good in our lives. But when we go on to verse 29, listen to what verse 29 says. For those whom God foreknew, that's it, he set his love upon them. He also predestined them to what? To be conformed to the image of his son. What's his plan for us? Is that we would be like Jesus. And so he just finished telling us that in all things he's working for our good. What does the good look like? The good looks like the image of Jesus is stamped in us. When people see us, there should be this growth in our life. We'll become more and more and more like Jesus. Shaped by the holiness of Jesus. And, and let me ask you this question. How do you know that you're more like Jesus unless you have to respond like Jesus responds and had to respond in his life? How is it that we see Christ-likeness in us unless we're doing the same things that Jesus would do in his life? Um, how do we see compassion unless we, unless we show compassion? How do people see that in us? Uh, how do we see um, what it's like to respond when somebody is maligning us? When somebody is saying terrible things that aren't even true about us? How do we respond to that? Well, see... We'd, we'd never be like Jesus unless we weren't put in some circumstances that Jesus was put into and we responded as Jesus responds. How do we know that we're like Jesus who could hang on a cross in nakedness and in pain and agony and have people mocking him and making fun of him and be able to say to the Heavenly Father, Father, forgive them for they don't know what they do. See, how can you be like Jesus unless you have people who've hurt you and despise you and and you're willing to forgive them? See, 
To be like Jesus is to do that. How, how, do you, how do you keep going when the temptation is so great to do your own thing and to forget about what, what your faith is asking you to do? And here is Jesus in a garden and he's praying. And he feels this temptation to, do I have to go through this, this terrible thing with the cross that's just hours away? And he says, not my will, but yours be done. See, you don't know if you're like Jesus until you get into some situations that Jesus has been in and you respond like Jesus does. Anybody can be Jesus when everything's happy and fine around them. But when difficulty comes, it's something different. To look like Jesus, to sound like Jesus, and to be like Jesus. And I got news that's not all that great for you. Romans 1.17, just earlier in the same chapter, he says, you're children of God, you're heirs of God, and joint heirs with Jesus Christ, provided we suffer with him. And I don't really like that, Right? Um, but he talks about that, that we might be glorified with him if we suffer with him. And so sometimes we have to go through some stuff that is difficult, that's challenging, that's hurtful and painful. And we learn with God working in us, relying on the Spirit, what Jesus looks like. And he's transforming us in that. And part of the, part of the program is going through some difficult experiences. But God wants you to be like Jesus. And he'll bring some stuff into your life that you can be like Jesus. That you can be patient and kind and caring and giving. And, um, and you can become like Jesus in that way. Um, well, you want to be like Jesus that he's going to teach us dependency on God. He's going to teach us to depend on God. Last week we talked about the disciples being in the school of Jesus. And he was giving them exercises and things that, that were beyond what they could do so that they would understand and see uh, that they needed to depend on Jesus. I don't know about you, but probably there's times that... We feel like in our own life, I think I can handle this. I don't really need Jesus for this one. I have enough money. I have enough ability. I have, you know, we would never say that. But that's how we act. We act like, you know, I think, Lord, it's okay. I've got this one. I can handle this. And he wants to teach us uh, this deep dependency on him. And I think some of us sometimes... Um, when we think we can handle something, it breeds a bit of complacency in us. We become self-reliant. And except in crises, when we call out to God desperately, I need you, I'm in over my head. But he wants us to learn to depend on him. And uh, our strength is really to learn from the Lord. And so in order to do that, to learn to depend on him... He often brings difficulties into our lives. He did that in the Apostle Paul's life. And in 2 Corinthians 1, we read this. We don't want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, Paul said, about the troubles we experienced in the province of Asia. We were under great pressure, far beyond our ability to endure. So that we despaired of life itself. We felt we had received the sentence of death. It was so bad, they thought, I don't think we're going to make it. I think we're going under on this one. 
But he says, but this happened, that we might not rely on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He said, we went through some stuff, and, and, and frankly, I didn't know whether we'd come out the other end. But God had purpose in this, and his purpose was this, to teach us that we couldn't rely on ourselves, that we would have to rely on God. But not just God, a God who's able to raise the dead, a God who can do anything. Put your trust, depend in him. And, and uh, I told you a couple weeks about the first time I went out preaching. I was, I was a mess. I, I, I just... I just thought, I have nothing of worth here. And God, God was helping me to understand. You know, son, you need just to trust in me. You need to depend on me. Uh, you, 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 you know, you're not too big for your britches. Just put your trust in me. And uh, you know what? It's easy, though, once you've done stuff a bit, to become, again, a little complacent and think, yeah, I can handle this one. But God wants us to know and to teach us, and sometimes it's through difficulties, to teach us that we need to turn our heart to him and depend on him in everything we do. Well, the third expression that we see uh, from this is not only learning to depend, but building character. God wants to build character in us. And I found most often that uh, I, I don't grow in terms of character in times of ease and comfort. Often it takes to, to, to forge character in us. It takes going through things that challenge us. And uh, we want to be strong Christians. We want to be people who are strong and able to weather storms and, and to be steadfast through difficulties. People of character. Well, how does that happen? Well, James 1 tells us this. This guy... Is flipped his lid. He says, consider it pure joy, exquisite joy, my brothers and sisters. Whenever you face trials of many kinds. Are you crazy? Consider it pure joy when you go through these terrible circumstances and trials. Um, he says, yeah, it's not, for the sake, you're not, it's not joy for the sake of something terrible that happened to you or difficult that happened to you. But he says this, and these are all kinds of different trials that can come into your life. He says this, because you know that the testing of your faith, the testing of your faith produces what? Perseverance. And what does perseverance do? Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking in anything. What God wants to do for us is he wants to toughen us up. He wants to teach us to persevere when things get tough, to hang on to him, to keep going, to keep looking to him, to keep clinging to him and trusting him. And, uh, and so God says, you know, when you do that, what you do is you build character. And, and, and that character makes you mature and complete. And that's where we want to go. We want to go. We want to take that trajectory to, um, to grow, to be stronger, to be people of character, to be people who are mature in the faith, who could trust God for more when there are difficulties. We're able to lay hold of God and say, I don't know how we'll get out of this, but we're trusting you in this and not lacking anything. 
Um, God, you know, it's, it's interesting that some of the strongest Christians I know, some of the people that I respect most deeply, are people who've gone through deep, deep water. And they didn't get to where they were just by accident. God subjected them to some things that were difficult in their life, and it strengthened, it strengthened them. And they became what, uh, what he wanted them to become. Uh, so we need to recognize that God is leveraging these things in our life, these circumstances, these trials, to help make us people of character. And adjoined to that, I want to add this. He also does it so that we might have hope. There's a, a passage that's a little bit similar in content to James. And in, uh, in Romans 5, verses 3 to 5, the Apostle Paul says this, Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. There we go again. What is with this guy? Um, we glory in our sufferings. We boast in our sufferings. Why would you do that? Because sufferings produ- suffering produces perseverance. And perseverance is like, it's like you keep going. You've got a heavy load on your back, but you don't quit. You don't cash in. You keep going through the difficulty. You keep slogging uh, through the mud. You keep moving forward. That's perseverance. And perseverance produces character. Same kind of thing. You want to be people of character. It does not come easily or cheaply. And and then he goes on to say, and character produces hope. What's hope? Hope Hope is being able to live, seeing something ahead that is so glorious and great that you keep going. Hope is something that gives you great confidence. Um, and hope doesn't put us to, ch- to shame. Next slide. Because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who's been given to us. And hope gives us assurance. When we see God working in our life, it gives us assurance that we are God's children and that he has a future for us and, and, and that it's going to be okay. And the Apostle Paul w- so understood that, that in Romans eight eighteen he would say, you know, I consider that the sufferings of this present age are not worthy to be compared with the glory that's going to be revealed in us. I know there's something, and I know that I'm God's child. I see him working in me, and I know I couldn't do this by myself, and I'm going to keep going because I have hope. And sometimes, if you lose hope, you've lost it all. But for the Christian, and Paul, who's gone through all this terrible things that he went through, continue to have hope that God would bring him ultimately home. And and we need hope in our lives. And God uses these kind of things to produce perseverance uh, and character which produces hope. Pivotal circumstances also work to make us more usable in the hand of God. Um. I want to be used of God. You want to be used of God? I think most of us would love to be used of God. And, and how, do, how does God make us usable? The Apostle Paul was, uh, was privy to some things that nobody else saw. He was privileged to be exposed to some heavenly visions in which he saw what goes on above. And he was told he couldn't share that with anybody. Um, the trouble is with that, he ran the risk of arrogance 
and pride, uh, being too big for his boots. Uh, and so God was concerned with him that he, he had been so wonderfully privileged that he may not be useful in God's hands because he'd get, he'd get proud and arrogant. And so he felt he needed to protect Paul. And he did so in a strange way. And so in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 12, it says this. In order to keep me from being conceited, Paul said, I was given a thorn in my flesh. Now, we don't know what it is. It's probably, uh, it was probably some kind of physical malady. Uh, and, and there have been many suggestions of things that it could have been. But it was very unpleasant for Paul. Um, in order to keep him not being conceited, he was given this thorn in the flesh. And listen, it was a, mes- a messenger from Satan. Do you, know, do you know, Jesus Christ has all authority everywhere in every dominion. And, and Satan has nothing. But Satan was unwittingly used as a tool and a pawn uh, by Jesus in afflicting Paul with this thorn in the flesh. And the very thing that Satan wanted to demoralize Paul and drag him down and discourage him was a thing that God used to keep him trusting him and keep him usable in his hands. And and so, so what happens is, Paul says, uh, Paul says this, three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me, take it, I can't hack this, take it away from me. But here's what God said. He said, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. Paul, I'm not going to give you anything that I will not give you the grace to handle. Trust me on this one. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And so Paul says, okay. If I want to be usable for him, then I'm going to boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecution, in difficulty. For when I'm weak, I'm strong. And he continued to be useful in the hand of God. Do you know what? There's something very dangerous that we often overlook with success. Success comes and all of a sudden we begin to believe the press clippings about ourselves. And we begin to take credit for things. And we begin to feel pretty high and mighty. I've seen people in ministry that have, have been incredibly successful. And they flamed out. Immorality. Power struggles. And, and power and money. And all of these kind of things. And sometimes... To protect us, God gives us something that humbles us and keeps us down a bit so that we are usable in his hands. He wants to protect us in that way. Another thing he does is he disciplines us to bring us back to God. See, sometimes we wander away. Sometimes we get where we shouldn't be. And and God cares for us so that he also wants to restore us when we've fallen, when we've slipped, when we've moved away from it, when we don't care. He's committed to us in that way. In Hebrews chapter 12, I'm just going to read a bit. Of, you, can, you can read uh, the rest of this in your life groups or, or by yourself. He says, in Hebrews 12, it says, Have you completely forgotten this word of encouragement that dresses you as a father addresses his son? 
It says, My son, don't make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you because the Lord disciplines the one he loves and he chastens everyone he accepts as his son. I'm not going to go through the rest of the scripture. I'm just going to say God cares about you and how you're doing. And if you're off track and you're where you shouldn't be, then it may be that God will put something in your life. It's not punitive. It's restorative. He wants to restore that relationship to you. And so sometimes what he does is he brings some hardship into your life to slow you down, to stop you, to turn you around. Because he loves you as a father loves his child. He loves you and he'll discipline you. Now, I don't, you know, I mean, I don't have kids in the disciplining age anymore. But when we had children, I didn't discipline somebody else's kid. I may have wanted to sometime, but that's not my place. That's not my business. It's the parent who loves a child will discipline Discipline, disciple, help guide, get them on track. Will discipline the children. And uh, if you love the child, you don't let the child run wild. You provide the discipline necessary for that child to do well. And sometimes you, there, there's correction involved and you bring them back and course. And he says, here's the incredible thing. God loves you. If you're not his child, he doesn't discipline you. Because... You're, you're on your own. But if you are a child of God, he can discipline you to bring you to a place back into proper fellowship with him. Uh, now, here's a caution on this. Um, please don't assume if you see somebody struggling that they've done something wrong and God is disciplining them. Okay, don't do that. Uh, it may, that may well be the case, but you can't assume that. You don't always know what God has in store. Um, and check yourself. If, if, things, if, if there are things that are going wrong, is there something in your life that you know you are just willfully defying God on? You may want to check that out, examine it, and, and, and seek to restore that relationship with God. And uh, don't be quick to diagnose others, okay? Don't use that in that way. But God does use discipline at times. And so, I mean, we need to look at that as a possibility. Well, lastly here, there's the fulfillment of God's plan. See, God is working to bring about his will. And so what he will do is often put things in our life that are difficult, and, and, but he has a plan. He has a purpose. And sometimes he brings those to fruition uh, through uh, working in our life and sometimes through difficult uh, things. The, the, father, the, children, uh, the father of the children of Israel, Jacob, whose name was changed to Israel, who becomes the, uh, the nation of Israel, had 12 sons. He had some daughters too, but he had 12 sons. And, but he had a favorite son from the favorite wife, and that was Joseph. And Joseph, I mean, he was like any kid. Uh, he could be a little bit of a smart aleck. Uh, he, he had a special fancy coat of many colors that none of his brothers had. And, and he kind of traipsed around there like he was really something. His brothers despised him for it. And God probably had to do a little work in Joseph. Um, but their, their hatred of his brothers resulted in them 
um, when, when he was sent by his dad to go see how the brothers were doing with the flocks and herds quite some distance away and to come back and, and, and give a report. They saw him coming and thought, oh, there he is. Let's kill him. We can't stand this bratty brother of ours. Let's kill him. We'll take his coat. We'll kill a, 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 a little kid. We'll put the blood on it and say, is this your son's coat? And, and uh, we'll be rid of this guy that we can't stand. And so here is Joseph unwittingly coming to his brothers to see how they're doing. They throw him in a cistern and somebody says, well, let's sell him instead of killing him. And he's sold. So he, he, he just, he's turned away by his family. They, don't, they want to kill him. He knows he's, he's in, in trouble. They put him in a dry cistern. They haul him up out of there when some Midian, uh, Midianites come and, and, uh, and sell him to them. And they sell him to uh, uh, an official in Egypt. And there he works as a servant. And he did so well as a servant that his master put him over the whole household. And then his master's wife kind of had a shining to him and she wanted to have an affair with him and she tried to seduce him and coax him and he wouldn't have anything to do with it. And when, and when her husband came home, she alleged rape and he got thrown in prison. The years are ticking by. He's in prison there and, and God blessed him in prison because he went to the point of being uh, over all the other prisoners. Uh, wherever he went, he seemed to rise like, like cream to the top. And uh, the guys who were in prison, uh, there, were, there were two guys sent to prison, two of Pharaoh's uh, officials that, uh, that served him. And uh, they, had, they had dreams. And God gave Joseph the interpretation of the dream. And he said, one of you, you're going to lose your life. The other, you're going to be restored to your position. But when you are, please put in a good word to me with the Pharaoh. This is the, the head of a great empire. And, uh, but he got forgotten. And uh, Pharaoh had a dream that really, really bothered him. He had a couple of dreams that represented uh, that he didn't know what. And this guy thought, I know somebody who can interpret dreams. And they, they bring Joseph and clean him up and present him to the king, to the Pharaoh. And he tells them the meaning of the dream, that there would be seven bad years. Uh, seven good years, excuse me, followed by seven bad years. And so collect enough in the seven good years to be able to live through a drought and, uh, and deprivation. And they said, well, I need somebody to put in charge of this. Who, who better than you? And so here is this guy that has spent 13 years of his life going, why, Lord? Why? Why me? Why'd they do this to me? And, and whenever he tried to do good, it just seemed to, to turn on him. Why? 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 And here he now is, second in charge, uh, and he's running a program. But back home, there's also a drought. And dad and the kids said, look, we'll die if we don't get something. We know there's some stuff in Egypt. Let's send down. I'll send the family down. They'll bring back food to keep us alive. And whom are they confronted by? Joseph, their brother. Well, here's an opportunity to get even. Here's an opportunity to even the score. And... Um, and if you know the story, it's, uh, there's a lot of detail that, that I won't cover. But he eventually makes himself known to them. See, he's speaking Egyptian. He's dressed like... A, they, they would not have a clue that that was their brother. 
he reveals himself to the big reveal, and then, um, and then they're afraid. They're afraid because, by rights, he should he should have revenge on them. He works it so they bring the whole family down there, and the whole family comes and they settle in the land of Goshen. They'll be there for some four hundred years, and God would grow them into a nation. And then dad dies, and they got, oh boy, he hasn't done anything to us because he doesn't want to hurt dad. But now dad is gone. We're in big trouble. And, and he, here's his response to that in, in Genesis 50. He says to them, you intended to harm me. The word is literally evil. You intended evil to me. You wanted to harm me. But, but look, at, but God intended it for good. To accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. See, God had a purpose through all that pain. Surely he was working in Joseph, Joseph and perfecting him and maturing him and growing his faith and all the rest of that. But God had a purpose in that. And God said, Joseph had the understanding that you meant this to hurt me. You meant this to harm me. But God meant it to save you. And you may be in some stuff in your life that is so difficult that you go, why, why? And God may want to do something through that. I was working with my father in our business. Those of you who are old, old enough to know, um, 1981 realized there was a major uh, recession and interest rates went through the roof. I know people have interest rates now in the two-something percent. In that, in that time, people were uh, remortgaging, uh, had to remortgage at like 19.5% interest. Can you believe it? Things were terrible. Um, I was in, uh, in our business with my father, who had been 30 years in the business. And... Uh, and We'd expanded the business some, and now this hard time came, and the bank called us in and said, we're calling your loan, we're putting you into receivership, uh, we're, we're shutting you down. I remember that experience. Uh, man, it was tough. It was, it was tough to watch my dad, who had invested his whole life in that business, and it meant so much to him. Here we were, this, this store right in the center of downtown, and uh, I remember sitting with lawyers and bank people, and, and uh, this was it. They changed the locks on the door. We put going out of business signs, and I told my father, this was in the fall of 81, I said, I'll, I'll be done at the end of January. We, and we bought our way out of receivership, and he continued on, but I said, I'm going to leave the business. I had two little kids, um, didn't know what the future held. I was looking to, to do something in the same field that I was in, and God kept putting a putting a block up everywhere I turned. I didn't know how we were going to how we were going to make it. I had two little kids um, and and just looking for suitable employment and doing a little bit of this here and there and wondering what was going to happen with us. At the same time God was growing in me a passion for ministry. I was studying, I was serving in my church. And people began to say to me, we think you should be in ministry. We should, you know, God used people to identify that. And, and uh, through a process of months and prayer and counsel with, with people, 
God redirected our path into ministry. Now, everything I've done, I've loved. So I, when I was in business, I love I loved business. But God knew I wouldn't do something else that he had for me if I stayed in business. And so he did something really quite drastic. He pulled the plug, at least for a time on our business, and redirected me because he wanted to deploy me in a different way. I'm so grateful for that. I'm grateful for the lessons learned in trusting him through that. But I tell you what, um, God is working and fulfilling his plan. And, and, and here I am now 30 plus years uh, of, of service, the other side of that, and seeing God did that. And I praise him and I thank him for it. I thank him for bringing us through. Now, I, I, don't, I don't know what's going on in your life. I don't know what hardship you have. I don't know what stresses in relationships or finances or health or wh- whatever it is. And you're wondering, why, 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 God, why? And I want you to know that God doesn't waste anything. But he is working in your life to fulfill his purpose for your good, to make you the person you would never be without that, uh, to direct you and to guide you. Um, and and uh, how do we respond to that? I want to say that we need to trust God's wisdom and his goodness in all circumstances. To believe that he hasn't, he hasn't ditched us and he hasn't. But he is a wise God. He is a good God and he has our best and his glory in mind. And, and what we need to do is cling to him and believe in him and stay steady. And going through this will grow our faith. We'll be the people that we could never ever have been without that. You see, there's a, the, the, the first three words in Romans 8.28 is this. For we know. We know, we know that in all things, God works for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Do you know that? I just, I want to encourage you to anchor yourself to that. You say, well, things are pretty good for me right now. Well, take heart. Uh, they can get lousy too. And, and you'll need something. You're going to need something. And you know what you need? You need to be assured. You need to say, and I know that I know that I know that in all things, God is working his purpose for me, his good for me. And God will help you and take you through that time. Get it in your heart. Get it in your mind now. And let me give you one piece of pastoral advice. Don't use this verse on somebody who's desperately hurting. Don't come to them and say, now, I know you just lost your child, but we know that in all things God is working for the good. Don't you ever, ever, ever do that. Get it in your heart, and when you need it, allow God to saturate your soul with that truth, okay? Because God is interested in your growth, your spiritual growth, and he's working all things as muddled as they are in your life to make you the person that you want to be and that he wants you to be to his glory. Father, thank you for this incredible truth. Lord, I want to pray for those who are struggling and who are saying why and they don't know why they're going through what they're going through and, and they maybe want to give up on you. Father, may you 
give them, may this truth just impact their hearts and souls, that you are working, that you love them, that you care about them, you have a good purpose, and they can trust your wisdom and trust your grace, and that they will hang on through this. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.